This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Bonnie, you are salty tonight. Like already. <laughs> yeah, I'm back to drinking coffee. There you go. Bonnie, I looked up cold open and we're not going to do one, but okay. I did look it up. And when it's done correctly, it's supposed to like grab people, you know, yeah. so they kind of go, hey, what's that? Like in the case of ours, it's audio. So they'd go, what is that I'm hearing? So you really pique their interest in what's to come. So that's what a cold open is supposed to do. Oh, yeah. Thanks for explaining that to me when it was yeah. my idea to begin with. Well, okay, it was your idea, but I don't think you really knew what it was. I don't think you knew <laughs> that it was supposed to make people go, hey, what's that? What is that that I'm listening to? Hmm. You know what? I was going to tell you guys, I'm not talking up here because, up here meaning the cold open, because we're not doing a cold open. No, I'm, not not every- I'm tired of getting like hassled about it, even though I think that's a better way to do start the show because it gives a nobody's a little peek into what we're doing before we go on. Oh, Lordy. Then how come you declared there would be no more cold opens? <laughs> because you're bugging me, Fred. You know, Bonnie, I don't think anybody listens to you saying you're bugging me and thinks to themselves, what's that? I want no. more. <laughs> yeah. So maybe you could bring it a little. Okay, maybe you guys could bring it a little. You're the comedy experts. (laughs) Well, for almost a year, Bonnie, you would say, hey, Adam, and I'd say, what? And you'd say something weird. (laughs) Suddenly, we're not doing that anymore, and now it's taken all five of us to do the work of one woman. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. because we ran out of stuff to say, you and I. I didn't. Oh, my gosh. You know what? You guys are like in Citizen Kane, um, when the guy sits way far away from the woman at the table and they have nothing to say, and they're just eating. That's you guys. Adam, you're Orson Welles, and Bonnie is the babe who wants to be the singer. La, 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 Rosebud. Okay, we still haven't found the thing. There is no grabber yet. You're right. It has to be a grabber. Yeah, it has to make people go, what's that? Yeah. Like when you taste something really yummy, and you go, what's that? And you want more of it. I think we've hit that. Okay. Okay, I have something to say. I didn't get a chance to brush my hair today. And I don't think it looks any really worse than when I do brush it. In fact, it might look a little better. (laughs) What's that? Wow. Classic Bonnie. I want more of that. I think we've done it. Bonnie's grooming tips. Ooh. 
I mean, I'm excited about the next Tony's Craft Corner. Oh, me too. Um, because I know Tony is. She, I mean, she's childlike about it. She's so excited. Once you let her do it once, right? It's supposed yeah. to be a special treat, but jumping up and down. Can we? Can we? But I think Bonnie's grooming tips would be a good alternate. Yeah. Absolutely. I have one. If you're a vegetarian, you can probably go for four days before you have to take a shower. The truth is, you can go as long as you want without taking a shower. It's really up to the individual. But when you say have to take right. a shower, what do you mean? Well, so that you wouldn't be offensive to other people. Are you saying vegetarians don't smell bad? They don't sweat as much. I, I think that, yeah. It's I think, true. I'm fact checking that. I would check your sources on that. What the hell? Who told you that, Mr. Carrot? <laughs> Bonnie? I know from experience. You could probably go six days and not have to take a shower, and nobody would know. First of all, offensive, that's subjective. <laughs> Did you shower I mean, with Zero Mostel because he was a meat eater? Oh, my God. What do they call that when you keep banging the same thing over and over again? Showering with Zero Mostel, I assume. <laughs> yeah. He probably considered himself a higher digit until you said stuff like that to him. He was 32 Mostel before he started cutting into his self-esteem. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> It's not yeah. Zero Mostel. It was Mr. Stinky Mostel. <laughs> to you. <laughs> Let's do the show. Let's do the show. What do you say? Hey. Yeah, please. You know what? <laughs> I'm ostensibly one of the performers, and even I feel like, what's that? Scarpins <laughs> <laughs> Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, Walter Cronkite used to sign off saying, and that's the way it is. But nowadays we have to ask, is that the way it is? Or is that liberal media bias? Or Russian disinformation? Or government propaganda? Or pure spin? Or a deep fake? How can we tell? And why would you lie to us, Uncle Walter? Why? Peter Adams from the News Literacy Project is here to help us tell truth from fiction, news from fake news, and facts from Fox. Plus, flattery won't get you everywhere, but it will definitely get you on our show. It's Mailbag Flattery Edition. I'm Adam Felber. This show's Diogenes, bearing my lantern of rationality through the mists of spuriousness in search of all that is right and honest and true in this podcast. And now, please welcome the woman who answers my every nuh-uh with a deeply analytical and tightly fact-checked yuh-huh, <laughs> it's Paula Poundstone! <laughs> who I haven't talked to yet because we don't do cold opens on this show. And thank you to tonight's house band Darcy Hamlin on the French horn. Nobody, Darcy Hamlin is third horn with the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra and on the faculty at the Wisconsin Conservatory of Music. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Thank you, Darcy. 
Hey, what's new, Paula Poundstone? What's happening with you? What's new in Poundstoneville? I'll tell you, I read like a, a little headline the other day. When I say I read a little headline, that's because I read the headline, but not the rest of the story. But what I gathered, okay, <laughs> there was a flight, a Virgin Air flight, I think it was. And they turned the flight around after it took off because it turned out the pilot had not completed the test to get his pilot license. Now, my feeling is, you know, taking off is part of the hardest part. And, <laughs> yeah. and nobody else was going to land for the guy. And that's the other hardest part. Taking off and landing are the two hardest parts. So why not just keep going? Just if I was on the plane and they made it like a democratic thing, I would go, oh, keep going. For heaven's sakes, keep going. He's flown a lot. We got up, didn't we? Uh, okay. Uh, it's your pilot speaking. Well, not really a pilot, um, but close. You know, and if you told the stories, you look at it, I accidentally didn't finish my pilot's test. Uh, how many people want me to land this bucket right here now? Turn around and land. I don't think, I think most of us would be like, just keep going. At this point, it's an odds thing anyways. And the odds are you're going to make it. And I need to get where I'm getting. I mean, I'm not on the plane for the hell of it. I also think everybody, when they get on the plane, because if somebody dies on the plane, then they stop at the nearest airport. It's so stupid. They're dead already. I, I mean, I could see <laughs> if somebody was gasping for breath and there was nobody on the plane that could help them. Okay. All right. But if I had an airline, I'm telling you, everybody that got on the plane would have to sign a thing saying that if they die, they go in the overhead compartment and we just keep going. <laughs> What's the difference? Who cares? Poundstone Air. Amateur pilots and we don't break for dead people. No. How about this? Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> How about that? Your odds are better getting there with us because that's two reasons why we wouldn't stop. Two reasons. That's a lot. I mean, they I like stop that. for some silly ass reasons. I would sign a thing saying if I, in fact, I would sign a thing saying if I start to choke, just keep going. I mean, you know what? The last thing I want to do is live and have a lot of passengers mad at me. I don't like the idea of somebody somebody dying like within the first 10 minutes of a cross-country flight and, and me having to spend like six hours next to them. No, they go in the overhead. They go in the overhead. There's never any room in the overhead, Paula. Well, that's why... If there's a really elderly passenger on the flight, they check more bags. You know how they always say, it looks like the overhead's <laughs> filling up, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So, and they go, you know, we're going to check like 25 bags. Right. You know, please bring them up now. If What if they go like, you know, Mr. Weaver isn't looking so good. We're going to check 30 bags. That would be fine with me. You know, Paula Poundstone I'm... looks a little beaked. Let's check more bags. Fine with me. <laughs> And you don't need to be stretched out in it. You could fold them. You could fold the corpse. You're starting to win me over here. I think I'm on to something. And if you got pilots that hadn't finished their test, there'd probably be a bigger pool of pilots available to you. So you keep costs down. Oh, just mathematically, that's a certainty. That's the name of my airlines. We're, we'll probably get their airlines. <laughs> and we're not going to use plastic cutlery, but we are going to use extra salt. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> We're straying into less marketable territory right here, but uh No, extra salt is good too, because if you do die, isn't it good to like salt the body to keep it from decaying? What do they call it? Curing it. Yeah, you gotta cure it for six hours. Yeah. 
So you know what? If it takes six hours to cure it, it's probably dead already. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we're going to move into our book club. Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) <laughs> we got a book club. We got a book club. We got a bookie, 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 book club. We got a book club tonight. Oh, oh yeah. Right. <laughs> wow, there's nothing like the classics, Bonnie, and you really yeah. sung that with gusto. It's Citizen Kane all over again, I'm telling you. <laughs> All right, so um, we read chapters 9, 10, and 11 of that fantastic vampire and werewolf epic Twilight. I want to sum up all of chapters 9, 10, 11. Here we go. Okay, so Bella has lunch with Edward the vampire and rides in his car, and she asks him a bunch of questions, and then, like, Edward asks her a bunch of questions, and then, no, wait, that is literally all that happens. (laughs) No, you missed something. What I miss. When they're at the mall, the girls go to a store. Uh-huh. And and she's like stalked by these boys. Yeah, Paula, I accused week. you last week, week of not reading the chapters and you, you vehemently denied week. it. And now it turns out that you're discussing last week's chapters. And with that oh. in mind, I move to censure <laughs> Paula the liar, Poundstone, no, all in uh, favor. No, I no, uh, no, I okay, I read that part too. And and by the way, you're mistaken because if you'll recall from last week, he's a mummy. You know what I uh, you know what no, You not. know what I noticed about this book? All right, and forgive me for dipping back into last week's chapters, but one of the things I notice is that this girl feels herself to be so superior to everyone else. In fairness, the author kind of sets the character up that way because all the guys at the the high school, because it's a small school, all the guys are after her. And she has to sort of steer Mike, I think it is, to someone else, to another girl. Jessica. Jessica. Like, as if they would never have come up with that idea on their own. Uh-huh. And the idea that when she arrived at the school, she was so far ahead academically. I don't like the character of the girl, but I feel like it's sort of Stephanie Meyer's fault for making her kind of repugnant. I definitely hear that. She just kind of drops a reference to the fact that she's ahead of everybody and everybody yeah. wants to date her. And right. Yeah, she's irresistible, but <laughs> she doesn't think about her looks a lot. Yeah, right, exactly. Oh, and she's clumsy. Well, it's not like anybody else seems to pick up on that in any way, except for Edward, who thinks he needs to protect her. You know, what she doesn't realize is the only reason Edward is protecting her is so that he can get a good fruity shake out of it in the end. <laughs> and by that, you mean blood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's quite possible. But uh, I want to hear what some of the rest of you think. For instance, Tony Anita Hull over it. in Sherman Oaks, you were Yay. absent with leave last week yes. and uh, sent a note. So you had an excuse. Uh, but now that we have you back live, how did you enjoy chapters 9, 10, and 11? And unlike the chapters that Paula just talked about, these were the <laughs> chapters that we read this week. You know, I'm a fan of this book. It's the escape that I, I need right now from the world that's crumbling around us. I'm shocked that we're not halfway through the book because there's a lot of talking, not a lot of action happening. So I kind of had to push through these last chapters um, because it was kind of like, oh, what's it like to be a vampire? Blah, blah, blah. I do think it's sweet that they, they think about the animal population when hunting. Boy, you really fell for this guy. <laughs> wow. I do kind of have a little crush on him. 
I think it's cute. I wish that Bella owned a bunny <laughs> and it was like the only thing she took with her from her mother's house in Phoenix and she was really close to the bunny. And then Edward just came in and sucked it dry oh one my God, night. Why would you say that? <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> I would like that. She would still like him. She's putty in his teeth. Yeah, well, you know, the sex equals vampire eating metaphor is really heavy handed in science class where he's letting her know that, like, if she was out while he was hunting, when he lets his guard down, he couldn't promise that something terrible or awesome wouldn't happen to her. Probably awesome. See? Yeah. You know, there's a scene later in the book where he reads Watership Down and he just drools the whole time. He likes the rabbits, I guess. <laughs> All right, let's go to Simi Valley where Bonnie Burns in chapters one through three had a ginormous girl crush on Edward Cullen and this book. And since then, it's been all downhill. I just thought that it was interesting. And I don't think a vampire is going to hit on Sally Susie, who's a cheerleader and blonde. So wait a minute. Why? What about vampires? <laughs> Where's your vast knowledge of all the vampires you've known would never hit on Sally Susie, who's a cheerleader and blonde. Is that correct? Well, a vampire is unusual. And so I think in terms of having a romantic connection, it's probably going to be somebody who's a little off the beaten path. OK, what if she had six toes? Would that be enough? <laughs> this is a young adult book. I was thinking today while I was listening to it, why did we do that? I mean, <laughs> like, so not a great idea. Okay. So what's happened to me is last week I we were supposed to do chapters six, seven, and eight. I really only did six and a half of seven. So today when I was listening, I thought, okay, I should start with the middle of seven. Nah, I can just go to nine. It's not going to make any difference. It's going to be the same stuff. So I feel like I'm talking to my, my high school daughter <laughs> when she was a kid. You can't bitch that the book is bad if you skip chapters. That, that doesn't work. Both of you have bitched that the book is bad. Yeah, but you can't but if you don't read, read the chapters. Okay, well, then maybe this won't go over well. So, <laughs> so I'm listening to chapter nine. It's such insipid conversation. Granted, it's the kind of conversation that teenagers have, I think, when they're getting together. Like, instead of, hey, are you going to the game on Saturday? And what kind of homework did you get? It's this kind of veiled thing about the guy being a vampire and her... Not really getting it, but okay. So I get through maybe five minutes. Wait, how is listening. the guy being a vampire insipid conversation? I would think that would be fairly stimulating. <laughs> no, but it's the whole dance afterwards. It's taking so, so long to get to anything. So you meet a guy who is a vampire and you say to him, are you going to the game? What kind of homework did you get? <laughs> It's two people flirting yeah, on the verge of getting it. Bonnie, together. For, for like two or three weeks now, your your main argument has been, when are these teens going to start boning? Okay. That's <laughs> what happened today. So I listened to like five minutes and I'm, you right. know what? I cannot take this. So I kept seeing how fast I could make the speed for the audio book and still be able to <laughs> understand what she was saying. I got to 2.2. Faster than regular speed. And then it was just, you know, blah, 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 blah. And while that was going on, chapter 10 uh, went back 
to the start of 10 because the cell phone was in my pocket. And I'm like, I'm not going back and listening to that. I'll just <laughs> jump to 11. And now, honestly, you guys, I thought I'm going to come today to the podcast taping and tell them I'm not reading anymore. because Wow, you are take really it. taking a stand. <laughs> but now Funny. I feel kind of badly like I'm not being a team player. So maybe I won't say that. Yeah, I would. If I've, I were you. I've backed out of lots of book club books. <laughs> Tony, that doesn't mean that you go like, okay, I did a shitty job reading. You should do a shitty job reading. <laughs> I just want to clarify for a minute, Bonnie. You came here today to confess to us you didn't read all the chapters last week and confess to us that you kind of skipped ahead this week and that you don't intend to read anymore. I didn't really I moved ahead. to triple censure in- Bonnie Burns. <laughs> All in favor. I have an important question. So when you sped up the dialogue between yeah. Bella and Edward, did it sound yeah. like this? I don't know if I should bite you or fuck you. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yes, it did. And there were some places where the dog was trying to eat something on the grass or something. And I go, get away from there. Leave it. And then I realized, like, I hadn't been able to concentrate enough to see what she was really saying, Bella. And, okay, what difference does it make? And in the end, I know as much as you guys do. No, you don't. You missed the whole rescue. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm shocked that she's so cool with him being a vampire. And then does uh, no one else in town know that they're vampires? Right, exactly. That's the other thing. These guys have lived there their whole lives, but it takes Bella to unlock the secret. <laughs> yeah, That's what I mean. That the Native Jacob American does. werewolves know. The werewolves yeah. do know that the Collins are vampires. Yeah. Right, okay. but she talks to Jacob and she, you know, pulls up her skirt a little bit and like charms him and Jacob never spilled the beans with anybody before. But Bella, <laughs> and she's like, oh, I tricked him into it. No, she, th- she thinks so much of herself. Honestly, I hope that he bites her and starts to suck the blood and realizes it's gross. I have a feeling that's not what's going to happen here. It is such a young adult thing, and it's even it's even younger than young adult because it's this fantasy of this dangerous monster who is also somehow nice and not a monster. I don't think he comes across as a monster. No, but he's a blood-sucking vampire. Right. (laughs) But I think the author came up with an interesting way to tell a love story. Oh, wait a minute. Back up. You said you didn't like it. (laughs) I don't. And one of the things about listening to it on audio, it's not like if you have a book and you can just skim the pages and keep going. I could probably get through it in five or ten minutes. Yeah, Bonnie skims life. She doesn't learn. She doesn't focus on one thing her entire life. She has no idea. She hears every third word of anything said to her. No, you're absolutely right. I, all the time, I'm like, Bonnie, did you read my email? Yeah, I read it. Well, how about this part? Well, I, I guess I skimmed that part. Bonnie, that was the yeah. whole email. Well, yeah. I saw it. <laughs> I have a lot to get done. <laughs> that is- yeah. Well, Bonnie, I'll tell you one thing, young lady. Okay. You're going to be reading this book along with the rest of us because this is the good ship. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone, and we're all working together. I don't care how much censoring I have to do. We all have to do this fucking book. Yeah. Okay. Put your literary oar in the water. I'll buy the paperback. You know, you can listen. Just actually listen. It, it's impossible. It's interminable. <laughs> it's... I think it would take you less time to read it. 
Then listen to it. I think Bonnie's getting angry at the book because Edward Cullen seems to be attracted to Bella and not Bonnie. Yeah. I am done with this book. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> you know, Adam. Yes. I don't know if it's appropriate to say this at this time. Yes. Oh, nothing. Go ahead. Oh, I thought you were going to say I have a word. Yeah, what were you going to say? I have a word. Yeah! Hey. Calling the book club to a close. Let's get, let's get to the word. All right. It's redolent. It's an adjective that means strongly suggesting or making one think of something. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. That remarkably consistent smell that every mixture of rotting food makes is redolent of every restaurant job I ever had. It's a great word. I wish something would be redolent of the word redolent for me. Let's try the vocabulary song. This week's word is redolent. It's an adjective that means strongly suggesting or making one think of something. I think of Christmas every time I hear Bing. Last week's word was flounce. It's a verb that means move in a way that draws attention to oneself in order to emphasize one's impatience or annoyance. Liberace, I've had it with your constant flamboyance. The week before that, the word was turgid. It's an adjective that means pompous and boring. Classical music can sometimes lead me snoring. Going back before that, the word was pulchritude. It's a noun that means beauty. I don't get the fat of the lifting of the booty. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable. Replicable, replicable, but I do. I do, I do, I do. Yeah. Woo. Yeah, very. Wow, really, really You know good. what's amazing is that I can still forget. <laughs> I, the only word I remember from the vocabulary song is Gallimaufry. Gallimaufry, me too. Yeah, I'm pretty solid on Gallimaufry, but don't test me. <laughs> Tony Anita Hull... America's amazing conduit. If you can, without Googling, tell me which quotes speaker would be someone with rapacity, a former nobody listens to Paula Poundstone vocabulary word, we will give literally dollars worth of advertising to cultured books at 833 2nd Street South in St. Petersburg, Florida. However, and I would rather share a towel with Steve Bannon than even think about it, if you cannot tell me which quote speaker would be someone with rapacity, a former nobody listens to Paula Poundstone vocabulary word, we will not be able to give literally dollars worth of advertising to cultured books at 833 2nd Street South in St. Petersburg, Florida which would be a difficult loss for our show and for cultured books at 833 2nd Street South in St. Petersburg, Florida. Tony, Anita Hall, are you ready? Yes, I am. Which quotes speaker would be someone with rapacity? Hey, I want to know who stood with me when it mattered most. So I've asked my team to send me a list of every American patriot who donates to this email. B. I made a mistake. Tell my family to get the vaccine. Tell everyone, get the vaccine. C, 
A guy walks into a bar with his date, and he says, what do you want? His date says, well, I want world peace, but I'll settle for a beer. What about you? The guy says, I want to be with someone who doesn't settle for less. Or D, please, sir, may I have some more? Um, I think I'm going to go with B. Rapacity is a noun that means aggressive greed. So the answer ah. is A. Oh, I'm so sorry. Tony, Anita, we will not be able to give literally dollars worth of advertising to Cultured Books at 833 Second Street South in St. Petersburg, Florida, which is a damn shame, as we were very much looking forward to giving literally dollars worth of advertising to Cultured Books at 833 Second Street South in St. Petersburg, Florida. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, you might stop by Cultured Books at 833 2nd Street South in St. Petersburg, Florida, but you didn't hear it from us. Oh, Tony, better luck next time. Good try, Tony. Coming up, Winston Churchill said, a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. We will do our level best to get into truth's pants when we come back. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Hey, everybody. As longtime listeners know, when Helix Mattresses first started sponsoring our show, Bonnie Burns somehow got the drop on me and made off with the first mattress. But in the intervening years, I have gotten myself a Helix mattress. I've had it for almost a year now, and it has improved my sleep. It has improved my life. I could not be happier. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, which I have, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, which is a mattress designed just for big and tall sleepers, and they even have mattresses made just for kids. Now, if you're like me and you were a little nervous about trying it online, or like Paula, who was screaming in fear of buying a mattress online, don't be. The Helix Sleep Quiz takes into account your individual sleep preference to match you and your partner with the perfect mattress. I took the quiz and I ended up with the great mattress for a side sleeper, the Helix Midnight Lux. Take my word for it, everybody. The Helix Midnight Lux. Oh, don't want to take Adam's word for it. I don't blame you. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula and use the code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Paula. Paula, I invited you over, but you fell asleep. Helixsleep.com slash Paula. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Adam. Yes. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. And the sixth one has start a podcast. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally checked learn a language off your list with Babbel. 
Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. Don't do it. Or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. And Paula, I got to say, I really appreciate the whole like getting phrases that are important to know in that language right away, like how to order food, how to ask for directions, how to speak to merchants. And I really dig more than that, the speech recognition technology, because even if some of our listeners think that I have a weird cadence when I am attempting to speak Spanish, (laughs) I am am speaking it well enough for the Babbel app to understand what I'm saying, at least when I do it right, like this. Listen to this. Adios, Carlos. Ya te vas. Si, es tarde. Entonces, buenas noches. Hasta pronto. I don't think you have a weird cadence. I think it sounds great. Thank you. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Yikes. And their football team is fantastic. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Is there some kind of special? Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription. Wow. But only for our listeners at babbel.com slash nobody. If I'm not mistaken, Paula, that is 55% off at babbel.com slash nobody. The one spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com. And then you just add a slash and the word nobody. And it's 55% off? Yeah. Wow. Rules and restrictions may apply. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Adios. Hey, guys, it's Adam. And tonight is January 3rd, and I am picking Giannis Antetokounmpo to score less than 36 points and James Harden to score more than 16. Why? Because I like beards. Am I putting a lot of money on this? I am not, because I'm not really a gambler, but I am having a lot of fun with Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They're the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, who I would lose to, you pick more or less than two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in, or in my case, not. So I don't bet a lot. With the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James and Travis Kelsey had a 10.5 combo of three points made, plus receptions. Do I get that? Kind of a little bit. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and doesn't return in the second, that player is rebooted. So, it's like an insurance policy. Go to prizepicks.com nobody and use code nobody for a first deposit match of up to $100. That's prizepicks.com nobody and use code nobody for a first deposit match of up to $100. And then drop by and see how I did with the Greek freak and Harden again on January 3rd. My hopes are not that high. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Thank you. 
On this day in unremarkable history, Justice Brett Kavanaugh said, I don't like these apples at all. <laughs> We are back. Thank you, House Band Darcy Hamlin, everybody. Yay! House Band. Adam. Yeah. I consume a lot of news, and sometimes the facts I get from source to source are, are not consistent. I tend to comfort myself with the versions I like, but deep down I know that the ones that make me feel the worst are the correct ones. How do I know, though? I mean, I feel pretty good about my sourcing, but I don't know. A Ukrainian guest on MSNBC showed a picture that he says the Russian government used in a tribute to World War II Russian soldiers, and the guy pointed out that the picture was of Bonnie and Clyde. I guess it was. I, I, I don't know, honestly. It didn't look like Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, but it was a black and white picture of a couple. Could have been. I, I'd probably fall for that. But you know what? I don't want to be duped like a QAnon person or a Trump voter or a Putin supporter. But I don't know how to know of the veracity of the news that I consume. I wish I knew someone with some skill in this area. But honestly, I don't. It sure would be helpful, though. But I'm never going to meet anyone like that. It's just not the kind of luck that I have. Wait a minute. I just realized that the third person on this Zoom with us right now is, in fact, an expert in the exact field that you're looking for. No! Yes, he's the senior vice president of education and the head of education research and design for the News Literacy Project. Please welcome Peter Adams. Peter. Yay! Great to be with you both. Thank you so much for being here. Great to have you. My pleasure. Well, Peter, how do we identify credible information? Uh, yeah, starting off with an easy question, I see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're all better at identifying credible information when we slow down and engage our critical habits of mind, right? So when we're info grazing online, uh, we're particularly bad at it, but when we stop and actually look at things carefully, um, we're much better at it than, than people uh, sometimes think. The problem is the platforms where we consume a lot of our information are designed to keep us in that kind of quick reaction thinking, right? That knee-jerk reaction, lots of likes, lots of shares, outrage comments, move on. Um, and so I think that's number one. Um, number two, I think, you know, the standards and ethics of quality journalism really do matter, right? So things like transparency and fairness are important. Credible information actually doesn't ask you to, to take its word for it. it. It shows its work. Quality journalism tells you where it's getting the information from, uh, and that's really, really important. And sometimes I think the public has a hard time um, recognizing this because there's so much rhetoric around the media. Um, it's a very popular thing for people to attack, mm -hmm. um, and people can kind of lose sight of, you know, exactly what makes things credible isn't, isn't exactly a mystery if we, if we just stop and, and take a look. It seems like there's a lot of not stopping. There's mostly not stopping, I would say, in, in, in most uh, forums online, actually. What about if I'm watching a news program, a legitimate news program, I think, mm -hmm. and they're interviewing a senator or a congressperson or something or the like, and that person makes claims that are simply not true? 
that's a challenge, right? So I think it's it's incumbent on broadcast uh, news organizations to to try to deal with that. That's a problem that they have that a lot of print news organizations just don't. It also adheres to the kind of very popular talking head format on cable news, which is very cheap to produce. It fills a lot of air. It engages people's biases and all their uh, passions, right? And it feels good to watch, uh, but it maybe isn't the best at informing us. And, you know, for one reason is that it's very hard to fact check in real time. And I think when news anchors do call someone out or, or call a claim into question, they come off as adversarial or biased when, in fact, they're really trying to just stop their guests from from saying something that's untrue. Should we stop calling those news networks news networks? I mean, it seems like the bulk of their program is, in fact, opinion and analysis. And there's, there's precious little real news desk stuff. Yeah. I think we do ourselves a disservice when we forget about the conventions of the medium to begin with, right? So television news is very compressed. Some things don't work well on television that are actually really, really important. And I think people forget that they can't just watch the evening news and have a complete information diet. I really do think it takes a print source in your diet along with broadcast. So that's that's number one. Number two, you're absolutely right. I think people have to be really, really cognizant and discerning about when what they're getting is a kind of soft talk news format or commentary format and when they're looking at an actual hard news broadcast and that the rules and expectations should shift depending on, on what they're looking at. But you're right. The the, the number of, of minutes devoted to straight news broadcasts on a lot of cable news uh, networks in particular is is minuscule. You know, I vaguely remember the birds aren't real story. <laughs> what was that? Birds aren't real is a brilliant parody conspiracy theory movement that was conceived by a guy named Peter McIndoe in 2017. And it basically pushed the idea that the U.S. government had had systematically sort of killed all the birds and replaced them with robotic surveillance drones. And those drones would do things like recharge on power lines and pick up food scraps and fly them back to the <laughs> Pentagon for DNA analysis and things like that. So McIndoe's goal really was to highlight the absurdity of conspiratorial thinking and some conspiratorial claims online. And it was a way of sort of fighting back um, but with sort of an outsized satirical set of claims. The brilliant thing is that he did this in character. So he would show up to protests and rarely broke character, even in many interviews with news media, and would continue to make these claims. And what that let him do was to embody some of the problematic reasoning and, and some patterns that conspiratorial thinking and conspiracy theorists engage in. For example, explaining a way that birds pick up food, it's not because they're alive, it's because they're scraping DNA. So it's that kind of unfalsifiable, self-sealing nature of, awesome. of conspiracy theories, right? So he would embody that or, or seeing patterns in meaningless details, like our politicians use Twitter to tweet, he said on 60 Minutes. Is that a coincidence? I think not. I mean, things like that really <laughs> highlight how conspiratorial thinking can kind of grab hold of people and, and dupe them, right? Wow. What techniques are used to spread misinformation? I'm thrown by the birds aren't real story. It's so layered. We created a great student challenge about that where students have to like get to the bottom of what birds aren't real is um, with, a, with an online guide. So they kind of click through this experience. It's pretty fun. Let me just back up and ask you another birds aren't real story. Did he get some followers that didn't gather that he was doing a character? Some. It's hard to know how many because his followers 
play along, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of it is like a, a tongue-in-cheek satirical movement that people who hold up signs that say birds aren't real at an NBA game, somebody got that on national television, um, people try to do that as a way to kind of engage in this, you know, fight absurdity with absurdity movement. And it does have that kind of community aspect, that insider knowledge aspect that draws people into conspiracy theories as well. It's all a joke but it's a joke with a point. So they take out billboards, they have a van that they drive around to protests across the country, and people turn out largely because they're playing along, but they're mm. all playing along mostly in character, so you can't tell wow. you know, how many of the stenciled paintings on the sidewalk that say birds aren't real that you might encounter are authentic and somebody actually thinks that. There's some evidence that suggests that at least some people believe it and they don't understand, but there's plenty of folks who are playing along. Wow. All right. So what techniques are used to spread misinformation? So many. But I think there are some foundational things we can focus on. Right. So first of all, mis- and disinformation tends to cluster around divisive current events, things that are polarizing, things that get get people very emotional. Right. And so if they can provoke that emotional reaction, that's another way they can keep people from really stopping and reflecting and using sort of deeper critical uh, thinking, right? When you're outraged, when you're fearful, um, you're reacting. When you're hopeful, even. There's been a slew of rumors about Ukrainian resistance that people hope are true, right? This mythical ghost of Kiev fighter pilot or, yeah. you know, stories about uh, former Ukrainian beauty queens taking up arms, but it's an airsoft rifle photo from 2018. So, <laughs> you know, even hope can make us vulnerable. So I think that's 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 number one. Number two, there are a lot of sophisticated ways to produce fakes. There's a lot of press and a lot of coverage of deep fake technology, which is increasingly high quality and convincing, you know, video fabrication software. But in the end, cheap fakes or just simple tricks of context, taking a photo from 2018 and saying it's yesterday is still by and large, you know, the far and away the most common thing that you see. It's extraordinarily easy. And in the moment when someone is sort of leaning in with all their biases and hopes and their deepest beliefs, it's it's enough to dupe them and get them to amplify, especially if it resonates with what they already believe. Right. So when we talk about misinformation with students and with the public, we really try to underscore the fact that misinformation is exploitative in nature. It targets your patriotism. It targets your desire for equity and justice. It targets your support for the Ukrainian resistance, right? It targets your religious faith. And it attempts to sort of use that against you to make you a willing participant and amplifier of things that are either highly misleading or just flat out wrong. I wanted to tell you something else, Peter, by the way, which is that I challenged my coworkers here on this podcast to a running race and I won. All right. Um. <laughs> no, that, that, that's exactly wrong. You, and and, and there, there's audio record of that, Paula. You were the slowest of all four of us who ran. No, it turns out I had the decimal point in the wrong place. Um, all right. So on your website, Peter, you have a feature called Viral Rumor Rundowns. And one of the things it says is that Marsha Blackburn did not give the white power symbol with her hand at the Katanji Brown-Jackson Supreme Court confirmation hearing. Now, I've seen the picture of her with her hand Mm -hmm. that looks to be in that position, but I didn't really think that's what she was intentionally doing. Um, Still, I wonder, how are you able to say for sure that she wasn't? She had like one hand crossed over her other arm, and it had that white power symbol. So a couple things here. In that particular rumor, the photo was actually also out of context. So it it was on the same day as Justice 
Contingent Brown Jackson's hearing, but was at a second hearing that day at the Senate Armed Services Committee. So she wasn't even at the confirmation, number one. So that draws that whole claim deeply into question. And then number two, she really is resting her arm in a very natural way. And there's no evidence whatsoever that that she intentionally made a sign. And so some of this goes back to kind of the nature of facts and fact-based information, right? Things aren't provisionally true until we prove them false. And if we open that door, we're opening the door on chaos. We saw this a lot around the the 2020 election. People said, you know, there's widespread voter fraud, but there was no evidence of it. In fact, there was every evidence that 2020 was maybe the most secure presidential election in our nation's history. Um, But those things don't have merit just because people say them, because people can literally give you infinite false claims or baseless claims. Uh, and it doesn't mean there's any merit to it unless there's evidence to, sh- to suggest that it's true. So if bad actors can get fact checkers kind of chasing their tail and constantly repeating false claims, and if they can get those false claims out broadly enough, you know, there's something called the illusory truth effect, right? If we hear something enough, people just become convinced that there was something wrong with the 2020 election or that Senator Blackburn is a racist for some reason, if people say that enough, right? It starts to take hold. So that's, that's really the danger. So if you fact check that and say something like, there's no evidence that she intentionally made that sim- signal, but we don't know, you know, that can actually do harm. Whereas, you know, stating this is a baseless claim that has no evidence and the photos out of context, like, you know, she didn't do it. That's a much more effective way uh, to fact check. But we have those conversations, you know, qu- quite a lot when when it's when we should word it to say this isn't the case and when we need to say there's no evidence to suggest this. You know, what drives me crazy is that when people do say and obviously a lot of people have come to believe it when people do make the claim that the 2020 election, you know, there was voter fraud. They pretty much never indicate specifically what they're taught. Mm-hmm. They, there's never any evidence. I mean, Rudy Giuliano, he'll do that thing where he flicks a piece of paper and he goes, here it is. I have it right here. But he never shows you the paper. He never right. says where the paper's from. He never says what's on right. the paper. He just got it right here. Even more than that. And I think this is important in the run up to the midterms and in the lead up to every future election that what they saw was that, you know, misperceived raw footage on um, security cameras and live feeds of election centers kind of congealed into narratives, right? So people started pouring over footage and they would say, why is that election worker writing on the ballot? Well, they were supposed to write on the ballot. Why is that election worker taking that ballot and writing on a new ballot? They're transcribing a damaged ballot. It's totally normal. Why did they put those ballots under a table? Because they've been counted and they're ready for this, you know, to be picked up and taken here. But once people started to post these sorts of narratives online, those narratives prompted even more people to go online and look for things that they thought were fishy. And those congealed into just sort of conventional wisdom where people just said, you know what, there's so much evidence here because there's so many online posts, because there's so much motivated reasoning going on that they're just something is off and they become convinced, right? And they also fell for a lot of anecdotal evidence, right? You'll see people say that Trump's rallies were this full and Biden's rallies were that full. That's not an accurate indicator of public opinion. And so I think, you know, a lot of people sincerely believe these things, but it's a pretty complex sort of reason why um, that sort of cycle of narratives congealing into more evidence, congealing into conventional wisdom, um, which you now can't shake. There's just a group of people who are just convinced no matter what, that that Biden's not legitimate. 
my perception has been that this kind of incredibly widespread conspiracy thinking maybe started with something like the 9-11 was an inside mm -hmm. job stuff. To me, it doesn't look like a coincidence that that happened around the time everybody was getting online for the first time. Is the internet just a better place to lie to people and for people to delude themselves? I think the internet's a better place to reach a broader audience, number one, and number two, people underappreciate the community building aspect of online infrastructures, right? So the networking capacity for people who believe these things to find each other yeah. and to form a community that's comforting to new people who are looking for a way to understand their frustrations in their lives. And conspiracy theories, as convoluted and as complex as they are, give people really, really simple explanations. They break the world down into good and bad, you know, noble patriots and evil people or whatever. And that's a very comforting narrative. And so is being a member of a community that sort of has the secret and understands how the world works but isn't duped like everyone else. So that's what I think the Internet's good at, amplification and building community. I've created a really supportive community of people that are excited that I won the preliminary race uh, between my coworkers and I, <laughs> and are excited, yeah. are excited about the finals you, that totally support me. Absolutely uh, by the didn't way, do that. I know I did. And the other thing I want to tell you, Peter, is that um, I was up in Fairbanks, Alaska a few years ago, and I was invited to participate in a dog sled race um, in the downtown area. And uh, I came in third. Um, you you, you didn't. I was on that Fairbanks trip. and uh, No, you just... no, I did come in third in a dog sled race. How many contestants were Fuck there? Fuck you. Just go fuck yourself. <laughs> well, you know, Paula, the philosopher Yakov Smirnov once said, in Russia, we had only two TV channels. Channel one was propaganda. Channel two consisted of a KGB officer telling you, turn back at once to channel one. We'll explore life in a place where we have dozens of channels of propaganda when we come back. What a country! <laughs> The cat of the week is Chairman Meow from Cyclone, Pennsylvania. <laughs> hey, guess what? I'm back out performing in theaters, which is good because cats don't laugh. And the city workers digging up the pipes in the alley for the last month were not enjoying my work. You, sir, with the shovel and the reflective vest, uh, what do you do for a living? Ma'am, you want to get the fuck out of here? Well, how does that title look on a business card? Ma'am, do you want to get the fuck out of here? So, it'll be good to be back with you in a theater. I have missed you so much. If you'll come vaxxed or tested and masked, we'll be able to revel in a night of healing laughter again and again and again. And I won't get hit with a shovel. For tickets, go to paulapoundstone.com and click tour. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back with Peter Adams. Paula? There's something else I want to tell you, Peter. Um, I performed at Farm Aid one time, and a crowd of about a thousand loved me. There's- now, Paula, I, I, I think you've told that story on this show before, and that was a thousand out of how many people in the crowd? Fuck you. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was about 30,000 in the crowd, but boy, a thousand of them loved me. They just weren't sitting together, that's all. Okay, uh, Peter, how are cute animal videos used to spread misinformation, which I shudder to believe this is true. I love cute animal videos. Yeah, there are accounts that push cute animal videos and photos. They also do this with like amazing nature photos or photos from space, things that are just arresting that get you to stop in your feed. And you think, you know, yes, why not engage with this a little bit? Give it a quick like. That's an amazing photo. That's an adorable baby animal. Um, And maybe give this account a follow, right? Um, But their only goal really is to drum up a huge following so that they can either A, sell posts into those feeds. So once you have a big enough audience, you can actually sell people's attention, right? You can say, I have 250,000 followers. This is how much it takes to get a retweet from me or to get a post from me. Or they can just sell the whole account to anyone to repurpose it, rename it for anything they want. So if I have an account with 250,000 followers, I can actually monetize that and just sell it wholesale and start over again and do the same thing. The people who buy it could be people who want to spread something more dangerous than cute koala bear. Correct. It could be an anti-vaccination group that wants to buy it and push falsehoods. It could be a political operative. It could be a a foreign actor for a foreign government. You don't know. So Paula could buy a fuzzy puppy account and spread the calumny that she is a faster runner than me and and, and Tony. (laughs) And and there'd be nothing we could do for her because she already has like 300,000 followers because of the koala bear pictures. Exactly. So she'd have her her AstroTurf base instead of a grassroots support base, and she'd use that to sort of echo back the the reality that she won the race, and you know she she'd make it true. You know, the one thing you're not pointing out is that it may well be that there are really corrupt koalas that are (laughs) doing cute stuff intentionally, uh, hoping to be part of a big misinformation campaign. All right. Some people say that having So many sources of news divides us. But I would argue that just Fox divides us. But that's an aside. In the glory days of CBS News and Walter Cronkite, were we not on occasion lied to? The difference being that we all believed the same lie. A couple of things. I think one, we have to be careful when we talk about errors of fact or misleading coverage and straight out lies. So, you know, I don't know how often it would happen that Walter Cronkite or anybody at CBS News then knowingly misled the public, but certainly they got things wrong, right? Journalism is imperfect by nature, even though it aspires to eliminate errors of fact, aspires to be as fair and accurate as possible. Um, That's an impossible standard to meet every single day with every single story. But yes, I take your point, you know, that was in that media 
ecosystem, far fewer sources of information, and there was far more of a kind of national narrative, right? Um, so the, the media environment was much less fragmented. I think there are good and bad things about that because a lot wasn't, you know, reflected. I think if we went back and looked at that coverage today, we would see a lot of voices excluded from that coverage because that was the convention of the time. So now that we have more media sources, the upside is more voices are are in the mix, right? There's mm-hmm. more kinds of coverage. There's more kinds of commentary. The bad part is that's very overwhelming and can turn into filter bubbles and echo chambers that people sort of just get sucked down in and they just consume information that echoes their beliefs back to them. And we lose that sense of a middle ground. We lose a common set of facts if everybody's consuming particularly partisan commentary instead of news, right? Um, you know, which which is a risk. I, I also think a lot of people sort of engage in this kind of golden ageism where they say, you know, journalism isn't like it used to be. Walter Cronkite stuck to the facts, but no journalists do that today. First of all, it's patently false. There are lots of journalists doing lots of great work and, you know, really doing their best to be as fair and accurate as possible. So it does a great injustice to that. Um, and it also sort of throws up, pe- you know, people throwing up their hands at, at um, staying informed today uh, because they say, well, it's just impossible because the media is, is so hopelessly opinionated or, or corrupted or whatever. Can you talk about the mainstream media and the complaints against it, which has become so amplified in the last 20 years? How much of that is well-placed criticism of the way mainstream news sources handles this stuff? And how much of that is just a bunch of people who want to turn respectable news organizations into a dirty word so that they can spread their version of the truth? I agree with you that attacking the media has become an increasingly popular and common tactic among politicians and even pundits, right? Uh, Don't listen to the mainstream media. Listen to my show every night at 8 o'clock. So it's become sort of unmoored from actual coverage. And I think a lot of people have very strong feelings about news organizations whose coverage they never look at at all, right? They're just convinced because someone told them so. And again, it's a very simplified way to kind of look at the world. Blame the media. That's very easy and really reckless and damaging to democracy, in my opinion, because a lot of mainstream news coverage is actually really, really high quality. Like they're, the standards at, at mainstream news outlets, for the most part, are really, really rigorous. They work very hard to be you know, transparent with what they know. They worked hard to be fair, to disclose any conflicts of interest, to be independent. So we're right to worry about you know, the encroachment of opinion and analysis on straight news formats on television. We're right to take a look at how headlines are framed to push back against instances of false balance or passive voice when it comes to covering police shootings. That's really good, productive, nuanced media criticism and feedback. But there's a difference between that and just saying the media wants you to believe this, the media is lying to you, the media is duping you. So I would say, you know, the litmus test for me is when it's a political whipping post and when it gets really heavy handed and over general, you should back off and realize that, you know, you're you're dealing with almost an empty signifier at that point, right? A symbol uh, rather than an actual thing. When somebody's responding to actual coverage and saying, come on, New York Times, this headline is misleading for these reasons or this is doing harm and they're specific, that's different. That's, that has merit. I used to work busing tables at the Copley Plaza in Boston and the wait staff was largely about 20 years older than me. And like me, they're blue collar workers, but I was lucky enough, I think, to be raised in the burbs and my school had a pretty good education, I think. Um, One day it was either Sybil or Helen, I believe it was, that told me a piece of information that didn't sound right to me. And I said as politely as I could, I said, where did you hear that? And she said, well, I read it in the newspaper. And uh, when I said, what paper? She said, the Inquirer. And 
She was <laughs> of a belief that, like, it was in print, so it has to be true. I, too, thought that a long time ago, but I wouldn't, I guess, have counted the Inquirer among that. Um, but especially with the invasion of things like the Sinclair news outlets, how do we go about protecting ourselves from these sources that we have believed to be true? There's a lot there. So I think, for, first of all, you know, it's probably more shocking for somebody to see the Inquirer in the checkout line of the supermarket and not realize that that was an unreliable source, right? Just given the context and given the, the reputation of the Inquirer. The person I was talking to sincerely believed that that was a newspaper she was reading and that if it was in print, it must be true. Like yeah. there was a guiding hand that would yeah. stop. Like we thought about commercials when we were kids. How could they say it if it wasn't true? Yeah, I think that's an extension of the kind of media environment that we were describing or talking about with, with Walter Cronkite, right? I mean, my dad does this. If it's in the news, if it's in print, it must have gone through some kind of process and some kind of verification standard because otherwise it wouldn't have made it. Right. That's the kind of information environment he grew up in and he's accustomed to. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think more than what our background in education may have been, because Lord knows I wasn't a good student. I think that's more the thing, that they were of a generation specifically that, by golly, if just like you said. Yeah. So I think at the time, the lines were more clearly drawn. And yeah, I mean, it's pretty funny if somebody saw the, the National Choir and didn't know that name by reputation and didn't see the, the cover and understand it for what it was. Now, however, I think it's much easier for that to happen, especially online. There are lots of satirical websites. You know, almost everybody knows The Onion, and very, very few people mistake an Onion headline as a serious headline. But there are lots of other satirical websites where this happens all of the time. Their stuff gets uh, circulated out of context. People react with outrage. People steal their content and publish it on websites that don't have a satirical disclaimer label for traffic. Very easy to copy and paste this stuff. People steal their graphics, which have been doctored but are part of a satirical story, and just circulate the separate graphic, and that generates a lot of outrage. What do you think is the significance of the whole Sinclair invasion? I think parent companies scooping up large numbers of local news outlets is a trend that's that's deeply concerning, right? It's actually damaged our press freedom levels in the United States. We get dinged for consolidation of ownership into too few hands. And, you know, obviously, anytime you have consolidation of ownership, that's a concern. Sinclair is controlling a larger and larger swath of the local television market and just looking to achieve kind of efficiencies of scale and, and to leverage packages across those companies. Um, but it's actually blown back on them in, in some instances, right? Because those newsrooms are still full of journalists, most of whom are, you know, obviously deeply dedicated to their craft, deeply committed to being independent of the influence of their parent company, as every good newsroom should be. And when those incursions happen, it causes a scandal. There was an instance a few years ago where Sinclair pushed uh, a package to all Sinclair stations a script, and they wanted the local anchors to read that same script. And somebody went through and, and put together a montage of all these news anchors reading the exact same script, and it wound up damaging the credibility, and not just of you know the Sinclair, but of all the individual stations, uh, and diminish their credibility, and I would argue diminish their value. So my answer is, no surprise, that if we're all you know news literate enough to understand the dynamics there, that these individual newsrooms aren't necessarily corrupted, we shouldn't necessarily turn our backs on them, but we should know about that relationship and know what to expect and understand what the standards should be. They should be independent of the parent company, and if you see something encroaching on that independence, 
we as consumers should push back and yell out online, but also we should expect other news outlets to cover that as a scandal. All right. Speaking of yelling out online, tell people where to find your organization and what you do, like just a little synopsis. Sure. The News Literacy Project is working to build a more news literate America, both by working with the public and providing them with resources, but also providing critical classroom resources for educators all across the country. And we're trying to support those educators and bring them into a movement to make news literacy just part of the American education experience. We really see this as an issue of, of student rights and justice. I mean, students didn't create this information environment we've been talking about with all kinds of backwards incentives and intractable problems, they're inheriting it. Uh, it's kind of why Peter McIndoe did the Birds Aren't Real movement in the first place out of that kind of frustration. Sure. And so we owe it to them, right? We, we owe them the skills and the understanding of how to navigate this and also how to take the mantle, right? They're the ones who are going to have to solve content moderation problems on social media. They're the ones who are going to have to figure out what role, if any, government regulation has to play. They're the ones who are going to have to figure out how to rein in the harm that misinformation causes. They're the ones who are going to have to help us save our own democracy. And so we have to equip them, you know, to do that. Um, so it's, it's also for us. So you can find us on the web at newslit.org. That's our homepage. We have weekly email newsletters and infographics and quizzes for the public. We have a great mobile app that helps people kind of build news literate habits of mind and dispositions, like recognizing when you're looking at a straight news piece or you're looking at an opinion or when you're looking at a fact-based statement or an opinion-based statement. And that you can find in your app store under Informable. We've got a great podcast called Is That a Fact? Um, that really helps kind of bring these conversations to the fore and a whole bunch of other stuff you can, you can find online. Cool. Peter, that is just fantastic. We're going to take what you've just given us right now and run all of it through the old Pouncedinator, which is our signature app. Paula? House band Darcy Hamlin on the French horn, you are stupendous. Thank you so much for supplying our show with your beautiful music. If I could have some background music now, Darcy, I'll tell you what the old Pouncedinator spit out. Peter Adams from the News Literacy Project, this has been so instructive. Thank you. And I encourage all of our listeners to educate themselves about all of this. Start by going to newslit.org. As a result of what I've learned, I realized to my shock that my coworkers have engaged in a disinformation campaign to corruptly influence the outcome of our running race. <laughs> Look at this picture Adam posted of his first run. I thought it was weird that all those people were there. It's not a tight shot, but look closely. Do you notice Adam's legs are black and that's Ben Johnson beside him? Adam has photoshopped a picture of his upper body onto Carl Lewis's legs. And this is a photo from the Olympics. You know how Julie said she's been doing the stairs to train? I was very intimidated by that. Do we have any validation that she's doing the stairs? Yeah, she posted these two pictures. And this one, she's at the top of the stairs. And in this picture, she's at the bottom of the stairs. Logic <laughs> tells us that she must have either gone up or down to get these two pictures. But again, look closely. See how she has a doll in her hand on the picture at the bottom of the stairs? She didn't have that doll at the top of the stairs. Do you see why? Look. She's about seven years old in that picture at the bottom of the stairs. Those pictures were not taken at the same time. 
Good journalism tells you where they're getting the information from. Tony told us she walked 700 and something steps in a day, which is already bordering on the sedentary. But what Tony Anita Hall didn't tell us is that she doesn't have a step counter. That's why she's always <laughs> mumbling numbers. Okay, you know how Bonnie says she hasn't done her run? But look at this security footage that I got from Thousand Oaks High School. This is at about midnight and it's focused on the track. There's nobody there, right? Watch. Did you see that? Here, I'll rewind. See that blur? See it? Okay, watch it again. There it is. It's so fast you can barely see it. Tell me that's not Bonnie Burns. <laughs> He is the News Literacy Project Senior Vice President of Education. Peter Adams, thank you so much for coming on our show. Peter, this was fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed this very much. Oh, I'm so glad. And thanks for doing the Newslet thing. I, I, I'm so glad we get a chance to tell our listeners about it. I think it's really valuable. Well, thank you. Yeah, we are doing our best and, and even growing right now. So we have a bunch of open positions. It's a good sign. Coming up. You listen to us, compliment us, pay attention to our thoughts, and support us in our dreams. If we didn't know any better, we'd think you were coming on to us. It's Mailbag Flattery Edition, when we come back. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Fun fact, the world's longest concert lasted 453 hours. It was supposed to end at around 452 and a half hours, but then some idiot yelled, Free Bird! <laughs> Thank you, Darcy Hamlin, and oh my God, everybody, I just want to remind you that we are coming up on the return of Carl Lewis to help us through our Carl Lewis challenge. To that end, let's all talk about the training that we've been doing. Uh, Bonnie, what ended up being your time on the 100 meter dash? Well, 
I looked up how long it would take to walk 100 meters. Uh-huh. And they said if it was five minutes, that would be a statutory pace. So it sounds like I could walk 90 meters in three minutes. Why would you be walking and why would you be doing 90 meters? <laughs> so, and I don't see like, how anybody could make 100 meters last five minutes. I they mean, said you'd qualify for the statutory concession. But they're saying the average person can walk 90 meters. Yes. Oh, wait. Hold on. I don't know. We don't need you to read facts about walking. We we need you to run 100 meters, for God's sakes. We need you to get up off the floor. Here's what I want to say. Okay. We need to get up off the floor, though. You know, I keep looking. How long does it take for a person to walk? Well, for you, it's already taken two months. (laughs) So that's your personal best. I I don't understand why you would be walking a dash. Um, No, I'll tell you why. Because until my knees get to where when I get up from sitting, they don't hurt. I'm not walking. I mean, I'm not running. So I could lie and say I walked it in 1.21 minutes. And why would you plan to lie? And tell us about it. But here's what I could do. I could see if I can walk it in a minute and 21 seconds, or I do it less than that. How about that? And then I don't have to hurt my knees. No, I have a much better idea. How about, and I don't have a lot of money, but I would be happy to do this because, you know, I love you and you're a wonderful manager. Um, How about if I pay for an ambulance to come to where you're going to do, I'll cater the event for you. How about that? So I'll pay for an ambulance. They can get the gurney out of the truck and just push it alongside you. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about if they run with me on a gurney and we see how long that takes? No, no. 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 Great plan. The good news is they'll probably measure it for you as well because those fuckers charge you for every goddamn uh, mil- millimeter of uh, tra- transportation. Well, no, they're going to be charging you. You just offered to pay for it, Paula. Yeah, yeah. Well, they charge one. Yeah, I'd be. Ha- I would. I'd be happy to. Uh, I'd be happy if Bonnie would just do her assignments on this program. I feel like Bonnie's not doing her assignments. Yeah, You know what she's going to do? She's going to read Twilight while she walks. She's going to say that she's multitasking. Oh, my God. That was the weirdest couple. We said, Bonnie, did you do your run? And she started talking about walking, and then she started talking about 90 90, uh, meters. And so... Along, okay, so go ahead. I'm going to answer the question the way Bonnie answered the question. Go ahead, Adam. Okay, Ask Paula, me. how's your training for the 100-meter dash coming? The woodpecker, uh, the male, doesn't actually have a penis. Huh, so it's a misnomer, I guess. But wait a minute. No, no, wait a minute, Paula. You avoided the question. No, that's sort of the way Bonnie answers the question. It's just another, it's another topic altogether. 90 meters? Are you training, Paula? Am I ever? Oh, my gosh. I've decided that this is the hill I'm going to die on. And sure, my knees hurt, but I don't care. (laughs) I said to myself, I will make my knees never work again because I want Carl Lewis to be proud of me. And I think he said I could improve by 30 percent. I think that is generous. 
uh, I don't think I'm going to be improving by 30%, but by golly, I'm trying. I hope you yeah. do. I haven't, I've yet to hit the trails. I did spend some time in a pool, but, you know, I do have that pulled quad, which is really hampering oh. my ability. Oh. Yeah. How about you, Tony? How's the training coming? I did walk 721 steps today. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Tony, again, that's what that's what scientists call very, very bad. It sounds like a lot until you remember that you're supposed to try to walk like between five and ten thousand steps in on yeah. an ordinary day. Having nothing to do with the race at all. Tony may just drop dead there in the apartment and be left for Mr. Totes to eat her. Uh, all right, so Tony's training is not going as well as hope. Uh, how about Julie? I didn't do as much this week as I did last. Oh, you were our, our training icon. The only one not. Yeah, she was. Kind of shaming Carl Lewis's name. And you, yeah. what did you do this week? You know, work and Mother's Day. I I took it easy. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like there was no. Tra- hey, listen, I'm happy to hear that. I'm thrilled. I suggest that you celebrate Mother's Day next week as well. And then maybe again after that. Um, oh. To make sure oh. that you've really celebrated Mother's Day. Oh, it's that you. gamesmanship that Paula Poundstone is, is famous for. Mm-hmm. The yeah. head games that she plays. All right. Well, good luck, everybody, uh, next week in your training. And now it's time to return to one of my favorite segments, which apparently we haven't done in uh, almost two months. It's time for Mailbag <laughs> Flattery Edition. Now, yes, it turns out that you guys have been saying such nice things about us and our various segments and what you liked, and we just wanted to highlight some of the great positivity that is flowing between us and you. I can't wait to hear that. Oh, it's really complimentary, and I think with Julie's help, we picked out a good bunch this week. And, of course, our beloved mailbag reader, Tony Anita Hall, is here. She decided to come back this week. Tony was on a short cruise last week. It was just on Bayona Creek. Uh. <laughs> Tony, why don't you step up and tell us what's in our mailbag? Flattery edition. Happy to. So our first couple of emails are about Tony's craft. Where, where do they come from? Where do they come from? Mailbag. Flattery edition. <laughs> This is off to a strong start. Okay, so our first (laughs) few. (laughs) Okay, Tony, go ahead. Go ahead and read. Reach there into the. What are you reaching into there, Tony? Yeah, looks like some kind of satchel. What is it? Is that a a satchel or a? What is that? Did you did you make that in Kraft's corner? (laughs) That that. What is? It's a mailbag. Flattery edition. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, okay. Tony, go ahead. Go ahead. So go our ahead. first few pieces of mail are about Tony's craft corner. Mo Gibbs writes, I hate to admit this, but I absolutely loved the origami section. I like to binge listen while driving my semi and damn near had to pull over because I was laughing so hard. I love the show. Tony, you have the best laugh. Oh, oh, I love it. That sounds like it's a truck driver that listens to our podcast. Yeah. That right there is high praise because they need a lot, you know, to stimulate them while they, uh, I'm so happy. And Mo, you know, as much as you love Craft Corner and doing your origami, I just want you to know 
Nobody loved it more than Tony because she's been wanting to express herself <laughs> oh through craft gosh. on this show <laughs> for so true. long. And yeah. yeah. Absolutely yeah. not. She, she came to me at one point, and you know, Tony's a grown woman, you know, she doesn't just burst into tears on a regular basis. She right. came to me, but she was definitely kind of pooling up. And uh, she yeah. said that, you know, there was so much she couldn't say verbally. And I said, well, it's a podcast, Tony. And so verbally is important. Uh, and she said, if only we could do uh, crafts. And I kind of hemmed and hawed about it, to be honest with you, Mo. I wasn't sure. She was like, you know, the swan, the swan. I want to do the swan. Oh, my yeah. God. And, she, yeah. you know, she told me that the swan was a metaphor. She says, Adam, I need you to know that crafting is my wings and you guys aren't letting me fly. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, oh. it, was, it was heartrending. Now so thank I'm you. tearing up. I can't, I'm tearing up. Honestly, yeah, God. I'm so. a little glimpsed. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, uh, Tony, what else is in that mailbag? <laughs> Flattery edition. Ted Stark writes. Tony, Tony, what was oh that God. you just reached your <laughs> oh hand God. into? What was that? <laughs> yeah, was it your purse, Tony? Was it a purse? It's the mailbag. <laughs> Flattery edition. Okay, go ahead, Tony. Go ahead. Ted Stark uh, writes, just listening to the craft corner and acoustically speaking, that was a Captain Crinkle wet dream. <laughs> Plus, would you ask a nobody smarter than me to match up the original book club theme with the main title theme to the movie RoboCop? I swear it's a perfect match. Love you guys. Wow. I've never seen RoboCop, so I wouldn't have known that. Bonnie, is that where you got it? No, but... Julie sent me a clip of the theme. There aren't well, any lyrics. Well, no, I think the point that Ted Stark is making is that they're very, very similar. And to find that out, Rebecca, do, do you have the clip that was sent to you of the RoboCop theme? And can you play that? And then Bonnie will sing the mailbag theme and we'll see if there's any uh, similarity. Really? Because it's... <laughs> Probably not this part. No, it sounds just like it. Bonnie, don't get any ideas from this. I don't want you to be doing these intros. Is it that part right there? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hear it. Definitely. We got a bookie, 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 book. Book club. <laughs> bookie, bookie, book club. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's no wonder I've never seen this movie. <laughs> All right. That's enough. Thank you, All Rebecca. Right. Yeah, I think. Oh, my God. It's okay, Bonnie. So now do the book club theme. <laughs> okay. We got a book club. We got a book club. We got a book club. Yeah, okay. Ted, I see exactly what you mean. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, it's more than likely that Bonnie inspired the composer 
than the other way around. Now that I've heard them both next to each other, yeah, that's it's uncanny. It's a little bit like the old Patty Duke show. I mean, yeah. just they, they they walk alike, they talk alike. What a crazy yeah. pair! The RoboCop theme and Bunny's theme. Wow, well that's terrific. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Ted. Thank you, thank you so much, Ted. Um, please never use the four words "Captain Crinkle Wet Dream" in the same sentence again. <laughs> As a favor to me. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's continue. Tony, what else is in that mailbag? Flattery edition. Aaron Brown writes, Dear Adam Felder. Wait, wait, Tony, Tony, where are you getting this from? <laughs> oh my God. From the mailbag. Flattery edition. Aaron Brown wrote us, Dear Adam Felber. Before you have another mailbag segment on the podcast, will someone please confiscate Paula's glockenspiel? She is a menace with it. Thanks. Hey! <laughs> how is that flattering? <laughs> that was a flattery edition. Karen Brown, you were thrown out of the mailbag. Flattery, Flattery edition. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, you know, Paula, I, I think the point here is that not everybody shares Karen Brown's opinion. Tony, you want to read the other, the next one? Yeah, Jennifer Livesay. I like the glockenspiel. See? There you go. And I think we just don't hear enough from Mrs. Culpepper. And I like the ending banter as much as I like the cold open. I think more people would mention how much they enjoy the ending banter, but we don't know exactly what it's called. Also, Tony's Craft Corner was hysterically funny. Did you ever think about maybe a spinoff podcast? I think the next craft she should tackle is lace making. All right. Uh, well, first of all, thank you, Jennifer. Unpack, yeah. um, but second of all, <laughs> fuck the spinoff podcast. I don't want anybody else having any other goddamn podcast. I believe we've had enough of that. Um, well, uh, uh, Jennifer, I, I thank you so much. Uh, you, I, I think you're right. I, I have been remiss lately not being present on uh, nobody listening to Paula Poundstone. I, I was uh, recovering from an uh, injury that I got uh, training uh, for the big race, which I was not even included in the, the preliminaries. Uh, but I figure if Barney Burns is already planning on walking 90 meters for no reason I can think of, uh, that I should also be included. I am going to wear a uh, standard uh, pump shoe. Uh, oh, I don't know run. if that's a good idea, Mrs. Culpepper. You could twist an ankle trying to run in pumps. <laughs> Adam Pelp, I've been wearing pumps for years since before you were even conceived. Oh, wow. Is that when you would go out <laughs> dancing with the captain? Oh, I loved dancing with the captain, and he was magical on the dance floor. The captain oh. was wonderful, a oh, wonderful I... dancer. I know you're older now, but I bet you both can still cut a rug, Mrs. Culpepper. Well, uh, uh, although I still <laughs> occasionally do uh, go dancing, Adam, uh, Captain Culpepper is no longer with us. Oh, my God. I knew that, didn't I? I'm so sorry. I think you sorry. did. Yeah, I believe yeah. so. It's a it's a, a comedy that you uh, have forgotten. Uh, such an important event. A what? I forget the word. <laughs> was, it, was it calumny, Mrs. Colby? Cal I said it was a comedy. I mean, that uh, uh, it was a calumny. <laughs> Um, you know what it is? I'm a little addled, you know. 
I got the endorphin rush from my training today from my running. Uh, but I bet Bonnie Burns is. is jealous now. She could have an endorphin rush if she would stop Googling and start running. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't be more right, uh, Mrs. Culpepper. And, uh, you know, personally, Jennifer Live say, I say full steam ahead with Tony's uh, Craft Corner uh, podcast. I think I think Paula doesn't see the real possibilities in having the Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone extended universe into other podcasts is how we expand our empire, I think. Oh. And Tony has so many crafts that she wants to do. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, my God. Adam, did she keep texting you last night? I was trying oh to my sleep. God. And yeah. she's like, oh, we can all have matching crochet needles. I'm like, Tony, <laughs> honest to God. I don't know. Was it like fucking three in the morning? She mm-hmm. she left me some message about glitter goo. Uh, uh, oh, glitter, I, I, glitter glue, it, not glitter goo. That's that Gwyneth Paltrow stuff. And that can chafe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tony uh, t- texted me last night really late. Look in your mailbox. And it was full of gimp. She said, just thinking of, you're like, Tony, I don't do gimp. I don't do macrame. But there it was. Yeah. Boy, she is just driven. Just driven. Tony, what else is in the mailbag? Flattery edition. (laughs) Dominic Coppola writes, Adam, please keep promoting dad band land. What? I wasn't going to listen to it, but you finally wore me down and I love it. I'm not a dad and have never been in a band, but I enjoy music and really like the in-depth discussion of old favorites and new to me songs and albums. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Dominic Coppola. Adam's pen name being Dominic Coppola. Yeah, that's a funny coincidence there. Yeah. I encourage everybody else to be worn down by me. It's such a flattering way to phrase it. Just like Dominic and say yes to Dad Van Land. Oh, oh, Lordy. Uh, Yeah, thanks, Dominic. (laughs) All right, Tony, what else is in the mailbag? Okay. A Dolly oh. fan. Flattery <laughs> <laughs> edition. Let's slow on the queue there, Paul. I, I was taking a Karen Brown moment. <laughs> God damn Karen Brown. I'm a menace. I'm not a menace with a glockenspiel. I'm a I'm a national treasure with a goddamn glockenspiel. Um Tony, what do we I'm so disoriented. Don't don't you need a hole? Uh, Paula is not herself today. Uh, she's been having a coffin fit, and uh, she's just not feeling up to par. So uh, what is it that we're doing here? Mailbag, Mrs. Culpepper. Mailbag. Flattery edition. Oh. <laughs> yeah. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead, Tony. Go ahead. Dolly Fan writes, I like the show and hope you will continue in your celebration of incompetence. But I did say shake things up. Why only have a book club? Why not perform musicals? I think there's a place for the Rocky Horror Show. That would be quite a challenge for Bonnie. Bonnie's challenged by remembering 100 (laughs) meters instead of 90 meters. If we are basing things on what's a challenge for Bonnie... Um, I've never seen Rocky Horror Picture Show, uh, Dolly, so I can't say for sure, you know, how I think we would take hold of that piece. Um, I think we would be pretty good at it. We could divvy up the roles. I would love to give Bonnie the chance to sing Let's Do the Time Warp Again. Let's do the time warp again. 
I stand corrected. I think maybe that song should be Tony. Um. Tony, you were a theater major, right? Yeah, I was. Yeah. That's yeah, we- why we have Tony read the... Uh, Tony, what is it that you read? Oh, <laughs> the mailbag. Flattery edition. Still worn down. Um, uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So what's next? Dana Ludwig writes, "Hey team, I know Bonnie wants the cold open to go on hiatus, but episode one ninety eight had the." Funniest cold open that I can ever imagine. I just couldn't stop laughing and nearly fell off my bike. I know Bonnie is not king of the world, but here's the problem. Bonnie was the funniest part of the cold open. And if she rebels, you will have a ton of angry nobodies on your hands. It's a problem. Maybe you can ask her nicely. She will never run out of funny things to say. I honestly don't know whether I'm laughing at her or laughing with her, but I'm always <laughs> laughing when she opens her mouth. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's kind of a chicken or the egg conundrum, isn't it? <laughs> Bonnie, are you flattered by that? I really am, but here's the thing. Number one, when I'm listening to the show, I do make myself laugh. I'm always so surprised. <laughs> like, oh, that's funny. But... <laughs> I'm not trying to be funny, and I really think I only come across as funny because of the things that Adam and Paula say about me. Hmm. I think you're not giving yourself quite enough credit there. I think you managed to make people laugh just all by yourself, whether <laughs> no. you're trying to or not. Like, I think everybody listening to you reporting on your state of your training this week by reading us factoids about slow walking 90 meters, I think that's just going to be funny. I think that Dana Ludwig will probably be your your first uh, listener on your podcast, the Captain Crinkle spinoff from Nobody Listens to Paul Ponzo. Absolutely, as we expand our universe. Um, well, thank you, Dana. Thank you. Thanks, Dana. Okay. Well, Tony, thank you very much for, for navigating us through that extraordinary edition of Mailbag. Flattery edition. And hey, here's the thing. Nobody's, if you heard your name and your piece of mail mentioned on this edition of Mailbag, then you can send us your address, if you so desire, to receive a Thomas Coin coin. We did that last time. We're doing it this time. You just drop us a line at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com along with your address, and we will mail you a Thomas Coin coin. Coin, coin. And that's all for M-B-F-E. Oh, F-U. <laughs> yeah. um. You know, Adam? Yes. Adam. Yeah. We haven't talked in a while about the importance of increasing our listenership. It's not about having spinoffs, Adam. What makes making the podcast possible is having more listeners. I've always found that the best way to spread the word about our show is through our listeners themselves, friends telling friends. But of course, a a lot of people don't know how or feel awkward telling their friends that they are Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone listeners. So I have come up with some simple sample dialogue to make the conversation more matter-of-fact, easier, not not so self-conscious. Try this. Listener's friend, I can't believe you were able to open this beautiful China shop during these difficult COVID years and make it work. Oh my God, look at this. Listener, it has been a challenge, but 
My customers are cool. I, I ask them to be masked and vaccinated because I care about them. And the community has really embraced my little store. Listener's friend, this Fluton Royal Copenhagen is amazing. I bet it's expensive. Listener, just a teacup is thousands, but I don't really want to sell it. I have it mostly just so everybody can see how beautiful it is. Same with that blue willow set. That's why I keep it near the door and the window. The more nostalgic accessible stuff is over here. Listener's friend, what was that noise? It's near the door. Oh, it's a bull! Listener, oh shit! Listener's friend, he knocked off that whole section of Flute and Royal Copenhagen! Listener, he missed the teapot, and that's really the most valuable. They're not worth as much separate. It's like in Toy Story 2. Listener's friend, what are you gonna do? Listener, I'm gonna wait for him to leave, call animal services, clean up, and assess the damage. Listener's friend, wasn't that the Ming Red Dragon teapot worth thousands? Listener, what does it look like? Listener's friend, it has a red dragon on it. Well, it had. There are two parts now and a bunch of little parts. Listener, yeah, that was the Ming Red Dragon. Bulls don't like red. <laughs> Listener's friend, why are you so calm? Isn't this your dream literally going to pieces? Listener, yeah, but you know what? I was never sure how to tell you this before, but every Tuesday, a new episode of the comedy podcast, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone Drops. It's funny and informative. I have found that laughing and kind of hanging out with Tony Anita Hull, who has the heart and literary taste of a teenager, and Captain Crinkle Bonnie Burns, who is really noisy because she can't hear shit and has been Paula's manager for like 29 years or so, which is amazing because she sounds like she studied with Dr. Phil, and Adam Felber, who is so smart and funny, and Julie, who is new, and I'm just getting to know, but she seems very nice. Like, she might actually be a direct descendant of Julie Andrews. Plus, Paula and Mrs. Culpepper and poor Winnie and Mike, who might even be a Trump supporter, but they love him anyway, and he practically has a bromance with Adam. <laughs> Laughing with them has been something to look forward to during these stressful times. No matter what happens, I belong with them. It's a good feeling, even in the worst of times. Plus, I have insurance. Listener's friend, wow, I'd like to give that a try. I've never listened to a podcast before. Listener, I, I think you'll like it. Just go to paulapoundstone.com. It's right on the homepage. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a fairly implausible piece of dialogue, Paula. It's not implausible at all, Adam. How many times have you heard the expression, somebody's like a bull in a china shop? You know what that means? That means bulls have been in china shops before. Otherwise, you wouldn't know what a bull in a china shop was like. <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> Paula, as long as you have the floor, what's going on with the Poundstone product empire this week? I am so glad you asked. Adam, my company's publicist, Cynthia Cryer of Cynthia Cryer Public Relations, who I have learned so much about promotion from. Remember I used to hate self-promotion? Mm-hmm. Cynthia's made it fun and easy. 
I've always hated saying I'm going to be in blah, 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 the blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. But Cynthia says that wasn't the right way to do it. She says I have to start with a grabber to get people's attention, uh, then tell them the information twice, and then give them the call to action, which means tell them what I want them to do. Okay, here, I'll show you. Hey, I'm going to pull out my front tooth with these pliers. Oh, dear God. Fuck. Oh, my God. Shit. That got your attention, huh? Okay. On Saturday, June 11th, I'm going to be in Waukegan, Illinois at the Genesee Theater. Ah. On Saturday, June 11th, I'm going to be in... Fuck, there's blood all over my shirt. Oh, my when, God. Can, can you give me a towel? Um, uh, I'm going to be in Waukegan, Illinois at the Genesee Theater. Uh, okay, the call to action. I want you to buy a ticket. Okay. On Friday, oh my God, I can't say Friday, it goes right across the hall. June 17th, I'll be in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, at the Kimmel Center for the Horroring Arts. Jesus, not again. That's Friday, June 17th, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, at the Kimmel Center for the Performing Arts. I want you to buy a ticket, right? Of course, makes sense, right? On Saturday, <laughs> shit, I can't say S. June 15th, 16th, I'll be on Martha's Vineyard at the Martha's Vineyard Performing Arts Center. Oh, Jesus. Wow, that's, that's bleeding a lot. That's Saturday, June 16th, on Martha's Vineyard at the Martha's Vineyard Performing Arts Center. I want you to buy tickets. Of course, buy tickets. Why do you think I'm fucking going there to pick grapes? <laughs> On Sunday, June 17th, I'll be in Hyannis, Massachusetts at the Cave Cod Melody Tent. Hey, Wendell, the dog's painkillers are in the cabinet. Will you get them? Thanks. Just bring the whole bottle. That's Sunday, July 17th in Hyannis, Massachusetts. At the Cape Cod Melody Tent, for, for fuck's sake, buy a ticket. Yeah, that's what I want you to do. I'm going there to tell jokes, and I want you to come laugh. Why else would I go to the Melody Tent? I don't live there. What, am I setting up the tent? Am I a fucking roustabout? I don't need any saltwater taffy or poems about seagulls carved into wood. For tickets, go to fallenfoundstone.com and click on whore. No, Tour! Ah! I'm not going to say it again. It's a podcast. Play it back. There's more, of course, but thank God for Heidi. Oh, my God. Um, and uh, uh, speaking of pulling teeth, uh, eventually I am going to, in the words of Dominic Coppola, wear you down and make you listen to my other podcast, Dad Bandland. Uh, but where there's a lot less impromptu oral surgery than there is on this show. Hey, everybody, let's move on. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> if you have any questions or comments, drop us a line at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. Uh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, oh, no, 
I was about to say that's our show, but it's not our show. Paula Poundstone, do you remember earlier in this show, you introduced us to a new word that you put in the vocabulary song? I do remember doing that. If you get it right, you get to hear John Kennedy speaking. And if you get it wrong, you have to hear John Kennedy speaking. Different Kennedys. I remember. Yes. Redolent. It's a word that reminds you of something else. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Ding, 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 ding. Paula, you are absolutely correct. Oh, this is so much better, John Kennedy. President John Kennedy. You know what I think it was, Adam? I think the dog's pain pill just relaxed me enough that I could remember. (laughs) I think that's probably what happened. I am so proud. (laughs) All right. And we are so proud of the way this show went, in that we got to the end of it. I'll let you underscore me, Paula. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. It's hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Peter Adams. And to our house band, Darcy Hamlin. Yeah. Thanks for slumming with us, Darcy. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Julie Berkobian. Edited by Vic Lowry. Starburns production by Land Romo. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? Oh, my God, Adam. Yeah. I don't know how my dog can even (laughs) fetch all these pain pills. Paula, I'm not entirely clear why you pulled out a front tooth for this uh, thing. To get people's attention. That's what Cynthia Cryer told me to do. She says you get their attention. You get their attention. It's, 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 there must be less painful and disfiguring ways to get people's attention. What do you mean, like a molar? No, I mean, like, maybe not. I mean, because you're right, I did the front tooth. Maybe not self-dentistry at all. Well, it's not really dentistry, Adam. It's showbiz. <laughs> it wasn't really, it wasn't dentistry. That's ridiculous. You think you pull out a tooth? It was, there was nothing wrong with a tooth. That would be dentistry. If there was something wrong with there was nothing wrong with the tooth. I just wanted to get people's attention. You know what I mean? I want to be able to tell them I'm gonna be, you know, at Martha's Vineyard on Sunday, July 17th. I wanted to be able to, you know, get their attention so I could tell them. Oh, it was an attention grab. But what if you just said, "Hey, everybody," and <laughs> kept your tooth? Hey, everybody. That's kind of oh boy, that gets me. Hey, everybody. It's just ridiculous. No, that doesn't get anybody's attention. Go ahead, like, I'll be talking and you try hey, everybody, okay? I'll be talking, like, okay, okay on Sunday, July 17th, I'll be in Hyannis, Hey, go everybody. Ahead. I'll be in Hyannis, Massachusetts, <laughs> hey. Cape Cod, Melody, 10. Hey, Paula, <laughs> listen to me. Uh, uh, I'm going to yank this shoes out. I'm going to yank it out. Uh, I want you to buy a ticket. That's what I was in. Adam. Adam, what are you doing? What are you doing? I yanked the shoes out. I yanked the shoes out. Yeah, that got my attention. It hurts. Oh, it hurts. And I don't even have anything to promote. Oh, Oh, Jesus, I'm not performing anywhere. Oh, come on. You'll figure a way of working dad band land in there. Oh, that's right. I have a podcast. Another podcast.
look at that tooth. Did you actually write Dad Band Land on the front of that tooth? I did. You have no fucking loyalty. You have no loyalty to this podcast. None. Lots Zero. Of, oh, lots of people listen to multiple podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> A podcast network. Hey, everybody. As longtime listeners know, when Helix Mattresses first started sponsoring our show, Bonnie Burns somehow got the drop on me and made off with the first mattress. But in the intervening years, I have gotten myself a Helix mattress. I've had it for almost a year now, and it has improved my sleep. It has improved my life. I could not be happier. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux Collection, which I have, the newly released Helix Elite Collection, which is a mattress designed just for big and tall sleepers, and they even have mattresses made just for kids. Now, if you're like me and you were a little nervous about trying it online or like Paula, who was screaming in fear of buying a mattress online, don't be. The Helix Sleep Quiz takes into account your individual sleep preference to match you and your partner with the perfect mattress. I took the quiz and I ended up with the great mattress for a side sleeper, the Helix Midnight Lux. Take my word for it, everybody. The Helix Midnight Lux. Oh, don't want to take Adam's word for it. I don't blame you. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula and use the code HELIXPARTNER20. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Paula. Paula, I invited you over, but you fell asleep. Helixsleep.com slash Paula. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. 